Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 East Village. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at c3ev.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 East Village. We've been looking at a series, um, the screen will come up behind me, on building a great life. And really, I've said uh, it's building your life, but I've wanted to focus the next few weeks on building a prayer life. Because I believe and I've found in my life that the way that I can build a great life, build an impactful life, one with vision, one with strategy, one where I feel grounded, is actually by cultivating a healthy prayer life where I communicate with God and I speak to Him. We've been looking at Nehemiah, um, an amazing book in the Bible. And uh, we're going to sort of start off with that, but we're going to veer off in a different direction because tonight I want to look at different kinds of prayers. Now, I know some of us might be here and we're saying, like, what are you talking about pray, prayer? Like, I don't even know if I believe in God. I've, this is my first time in church. And we just welcome you, and I hope you feel at home here tonight. And uh, you get to sit in on, um, on hopefully an encouraging message tonight. But prayer last week, we defined, um, like, biblically, really, prayer is just communication with God. Plain and simple. In its essence, it's just talking to and hearing from God. And we believe uh, God and, and the God of the Bible actually wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in, in my life. Isn't that an amazing thing? I know it's hard to believe sometimes. But, but the God who created the world, who created you before you were born, actually wants to be involved in your life. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear the, the bad times and the good times. He wants to give you direction and guidance and, and show that He loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that He is for you and He's not against you. And prayer is simply communication with God, plain and simple. And we have the great privilege and the great opportunity, wherever we have been, whatever we have done in this life, that we can actually come to God through Jesus Christ. Through That's what Jesus came and did for us. He actually came and made a way that through Jesus we can connect with the our Father God in heaven, the one who created you, and that whatever you've done wrong, whatever you feel would stop you from getting into the presence of God, Jesus actually made a way for you. Isn't that exciting news? That's awesome. So that's the context of what we're talking about tonight. Maybe you've never ever started a relationship with God and you don't even, uh, you you think that that's some crazy idea, but tonight at the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and to, and to meet Jesus. And I promise you to be the most amazing decision you've ever made, the most life-changing decision that you don't need to feel uh, unworthy anymore. You don't have to feel uh, like you have to have it all together for God to love you, but he, he just loves you right where you're at, right now. He's for you. And so I'll give you that opportunity later and I encourage you to respond. But To be honest, as we talk about developing a prayer life, cultivating a a prayer life, consistent prayer life where we're communicating with God, for me, this has been one of the most difficult things for me to do in my life. I love to pray, but to actually be disciplined and have um, a a regular time with God where I'm I'm meeting and being deliberate to um, spend time with Him is something that my flesh actually rages against. I find it easy to, to um, turn up regularly to church. I mean, how could I not with all you beautiful people here? I find it um, like fairly easy to, to read the Bible and, and, to, and to hear God, but to actually have a, a committed time every day 
where I'm trying to spend with him. It's something that doesn't come very natural to me. When I first, I didn't grow up in the church, um, and I, I came in as a teenager, uh, and I had no experience in, in coming to a church service like this or anything. And um, I gave my life to Jesus that night, and then people started telling me, hey, you should pray. You should talk to God. You should pray. It's something you should do. You should pray. And I was like, great, I should pray. No one's telling me how to do that. No one's telling me what to do. And so through, through trial, and, or they probably were, and I just wasn't listening. Maybe that was the case. Um, but, but through trial and error and reading God's Word, I've learned a few, few things about prayer in my life that have, that have helped me cultivate a lifestyle of prayer and communicating with God. And, um, you know, I, when I first, people were telling me to, to pray, I didn't know whether I was meant to get down on my knees and, and you know, with my hands and, and pray before God, or was I meant to go to a church and do that, or could I do it from wherever I was? There's all these questions that you have if you don't grow up in a church setting, and maybe even if you do grow up in a church setting. Am I meant to say Father, or am I meant to say Jesus? Am I meant to say Holy Spirit? Am I meant to say what are all these things? And, um, and what I've learned is the most important thing is that we just know that God just wants to hang out with us. God just wants to spend time with you. And there's some things that I'm going to teach on here in a moment I'm going to jump into. And there are different ways of we can pray for certain things because there are different ways to pray. But, but the most important thing, I don't want us to get legalistic about things, is actually that we would just spend time with God. That we would, would step aside and not think about how should I pray, what should I pray, but actually just to spend time with Him. That's the starting point. And I, so I'll just summarize last week. Uh, for those who weren't here, but Nehemiah, we, we see uh, the book of Nehemiah. So this is um, set a long time before Jesus Christ has come and walked the earth. And God's people have been, uh, you know, walking with him at times and then disobeying and walking and disobeying. That's the kind of the pattern of the Israelites that's taking place. Kind of sounds like our lives, right? Where we go through seasons of, with God and then we walk away and he has to draw us back closer to him and that's what's happening to Israel and they've actually walked away and the kingdom's been split and um, so th there's two kingdoms now and and some of the people have you know in a certain area other people have been exiled some have remained in Jerusalem in, in the land there and Nehemiah is a guy just a guy just an ordinary dude who uh, has, has grown up in the courts of a foreign king serving them and he's actually uh, the wine, what do you call it? The, he, brings, he tastes the wine before the king would have it to see if, he, uh, if it's poisoned, right? So, you know, when I first said taste the wine, some of you guys were like, that'd be a great job. Well, it's to see if it's poisoned. Like, so, you know, every time he takes a sip, it's actually a very dangerous thing um, that he could die. And he's, he's grown up away from his homeland or his ancestor, where his ancestors are from um, in a different culture in very different customs, but he hears about what's taking place in, in a different land, and it breaks his heart. And he hears that the, the walls have been destroyed in the city, that the morale's down, that people aren't walking with God, and it sends him into a, a four- to five-month prayer meeting where he's praying and crying out to God and weeping a season of prayer where he develops a strategy and a vision to go back and actually rebuild the walls in, in Jerusalem. A wine taster signs up to be a project manager and, and to make a construction project to build the walls. So it goes on. I'm, I'm summarizing an amazing story here, but he ends up getting the blessing from the king. 
uh, after praying and getting favor to go to go back to the land to the land he's never actually been there and to start a a building project to rebuild the walls and so he steps into the land no one really knows of him but he, he comes back uh, you know maybe I don't know exactly how it happened maybe he put a few signs up and around the place started rallying the people you know uh, rebuild the wall make Jerusalem great again maybe that's what he had on his signs there and he started rallying the people together and he's like we're going to rebuild the walls these walls down our defenses are down in the city and we're going to rebuild and he goes on to start building the walls building the gates of the city then opposition comes has anybody ever had opposition come against you when you've tried to do something People have tried to talk you down from what you're doing or to, uh, to break you down, to put you into a box, to stop you from um, stepping into what you thought you were meant to step into. And when we face opposition, we can either uh, flee from that or we can go against it. We can stand up. We can be strong. And he prays and he stands up. And we see this amazing thing where he rebuilds the walls, he rebuilds the gates. But more than that, he, he turns people's hearts back to God for a season. He brings Israel back together. They defeat the enemy, and, uh, and an amazing thing takes place. That's the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man of prayer and, for those who were here last week, come on, action. Prayer and action. He wasn't just action. He took time to pray first. But he didn't just pray. He ended up stepping out and doing something. It takes both of those things functioning in our world to step into what God has for us. Okay, I'm getting through my intro. It's okay, guys. Um, one thing I do love about Nehemiah, though, is that he, because he was a man of prayer, we see over 10 prayers that we're going to jump into here, different types of prayers and different ways he prays in the Bible. But, so Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but, but he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He worked in hospitality. He, was the, he brought wine to the king. He didn't just leave it for the priests or the prophets to be in prayer. He actually chose to pray for his people and to pray. All of us, no matter where we find ourselves in life, are called to and mandated and empowered to have communication with God. It's not just up to the church leaders. It's not just up to those people who are wired to pray. Actually, we're all empowered and in need of prayer, of communication with God. Nehemiah was in hospitality, but he didn't use that as an excuse to not be in prayer. So we're going to jump into it. You know, one day I was back from Bible college. Um, so uh, after, I, I think when I was 19 or 20, I went to Bible college. But before that, I had grown up skateboarding a lot. I still would love to skateboard. I used to bounce when I'd hit the ground. Now I splat. So it just doesn't, doesn't work quite as well. But uh, I used to skate a lot. Um, i got to be honest, many times I would miss classes to go skateboarding. Uh, Naughty, naughty, I know, very bad of me. But, uh, but I'd come back from Bible college, and I was walking past the skate park that I'd grown up skating in. And I saw some young guys who were um, just fooling around, not, you know, not being crazy or anything, really, kind of, but not really. Um, and I was praying. I was like, God, would you just send someone to, to, to help them and to show them Jesus and to save them? And I was walking past praying, God, oh, God, wouldn't you just send somebody? Wouldn't you just send someone? And, he, and I felt... Really uh, strongly, God, just impress on my heart, why are you praying for someone else to do what I've asked you to do? You should be praying for the strength to go and show them my love. You see, I was praying for a certain thing, 
but God had other plans in mind. Now, it's not what I was praying was bad, praying for someone else to go and do that, but God actually wanted me to be praying for the strength to go and do it. My point is there's different times for different prayers, and it's less about us coming and just bringing it all to God and saying, God, this is what I want, but actually coming to God and saying, God, would, would you teach me? Would you show me what you want me to pray? Would you show me how to pray? Because I don't want to put my will on you. I want your will to be released through me. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I, I was doing a great thing. I was praying for people, but God wanted me to pray in a different way. Nehemiah prayed for different outcomes and in different ways. We talked about his first prayer recorded um, last week. Uh, in the, after he finds out the news about Jerusalem, what's going on, he, he prays. There's a lot of echoes uh, with the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament in that prayer of, um, of you know, using collaborative language. So he's not praying me or them. He's praying us, Lord, uh, forgive us. He's actually standing in the gap. And in the Lord's Prayer, we're commanded, our Father in heaven, forgive us our sins. He's identifying with the people. There's the, he enters with praise. It's a great thing to start our prayers with praise. Um, this is the first prayer that Nehemiah prayed there. That We looked at that last week. The second prayer... Um, was a quiet split-second prayer. He's in a conversation with the king, and the king says, what do you want me to do? And he doesn't go, oh, hang on, king, let me go and let me just go and pray about that for a minute. No, he actually goes, shoots up a quick prayer probably in his head for all we know, and then, then he brings his request before the king. So there's sometimes that we're in a season of prayer of four to five months of praying, and then there's times we're in a moment where we just have to say, God, help me here. God, give me guidance. The third and fourth prayer I, I'm gonna, we're going to jump in and look at here. I'd call these the warfare prayer. Can you say warfare prayer? Warfare. Sounds, pretty, sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? Well, Nehemiah 4, verse 4 to 5, this is Nehemiah's third prayer. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Uh-oh. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt. What? Or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah, pretty harsh, right? Lots of passion, not much grace. We're going to get into this in a minute. Um, I love the awkward silence. The <laughs> Nehemiah 6 verse 14, he prays a similar prayer of, Remember Tobiah and Sambalai, my God, because of what they have done. He's praying against his enemies here. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So what's going on here is the different nations and different leaders who weren't uh, on Nehemiah's side, they didn't want the walls rebuilt, were coming and they were um, insulting and threatening and, and attacking and, and breaking down the walls. And Nehemiah's not too happy about that. Um, now, he has a little bit of an incompleted picture at this point in time about God's grace. Um, and Jesus comes and corrects that later on. And so this isn't giving us permission to pray against our enemies in that way, okay? So I know, have you ever been in that? The guy cuts you off in traffic and you're just like, Lord, bless him, Lord, bless him. You know, but you want to, we actually aren't meant to pray against people. But Nehemiah kind of is here and you want to know that what actually set him off here, I don't know if I can say it in church, the insult that Tobiah actually says to him. Well, it's Sunday night. I think we can get away with it. You know, this is super harsh what he says. Tobiah, they come and they start uh, insulting him, and he says, look at those walls. Foxes could knock those walls over. <laughs> so come on, he kind of deserved to be blotted out from forgiveness and eternal, right? Like, no, it's like Nehemiah is a bit of a reaction guy. He must have been a words guy. I don't know what type he'd be on the Enneagram, but, you know, he's a bit of a sensitive guy here. 
Um, but what happens is Nehemiah doesn't actually have a full picture yet because we're living under an old covenant at that stage. And Jesus comes and corrects that in Matthew 5, verse 43, 44. See, living as a New Testament Christian actually elevates the standard from the old laws. Sometimes we think that, oh, we're freed from the old laws and it's much easier for us. But he actually comes and elevates to a new standard. And, and Jesus says in uh, for, verse 43 to 44, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Nehemiah is like, amen, Jesus, amen, stop there. But he says, but Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this is why context is important in the word of God for us. Um, so we don't get to pray the two prayers that Nehemiah prayed against his enemies. I can just imagine a picture in heaven. Jesus, Nehemiah has died and gone to heaven, and Jesus meets him there, and he, he's super proud of him. He says, Nehemiah, you did so much. You're amazing. I just want to correct one kind of thing in your theology, um, very lovingly and patiently, as Jesus does. And uh, Nehemiah's sitting there, and Jesus said, you know, actually God's heart is for us to, to pray for our enemies, to pray for those that persecute us. And Nehemiah kind of looks at Jesus and says, well, Jesus, I was praying for them. I was praying that they wouldn't be forgiven. I was praying for them. Jesus sort of puts his hand on his head. He says, not quite what I meant by pray, pray for your enemies, Nehemiah, but I appreciate your passion. <laughs> Nehemiah is living in a warfare time. And there were very literal, physical enemies that were coming up against God's people. This was for a period of time. So the different nations that are coming against Israel um, are, are actually the enemy of God's people at that time but we are no longer under that and I'm so thankful we're not living under that but we are actually still in a warfare every day we're in a warfare but we don't war against people we war against um, principalities and 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 darkness and there's actually an enemy that's trying to hold you down um, in Ephesians 6 verse 12 the passion translation Paul says your hand-to-hand -hand combat, so your warfare is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. We're actually in a spiritual warfare. Next week, the entire message is going to be about praying, our prayers and spiritual warfare. So I encourage you to come next week. If you're feeling in your life that... Um, you have areas in your world that you can't overcome and you've tried in natural means to, to overcome these things and you just can't seem to get it. There is actually an enemy against us who's trying to hold us down from stepping into the promises God has for us. And we actually are empowered and equipped in a, a spiritual warfare way to defeat the enemy because Jesus Christ defeated the enemy once and for all. And so if you even, even if you're bristling at the thought of spiritual warfare, maybe that's a sign that next week could be a great week for you uh, to come along. Because I know I've experienced spiritual warfare in my life, but actually God has empowered us to overcome the enemy and that he will flee. So moving on very quickly. So they're the next two prayers. Nehemiah jumps in in chapter 5. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done with these people. So that's another prayer. Nehemiah 6, 9, they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. It will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. That's a great prayer when we're on a building project. Um, you know, we're actually to pray for strength. It's interesting to me in the New Testament, um, most of Paul's, when he's encouraging his friends and who are going through trials and persecution, or when he's asking for prayer, he doesn't actually ask for a miracle. He doesn't actually pray for them to be plucked out of their trial. He prays for them to have the strength to persevere through their trial. 
Sometimes we get this wrong. Our God is a miracle-working God, and He has breakthrough moments for us in a miraculous manner. And sometimes we're actually meant to pray for the strength to get through the trial that we're facing. Lord, strengthen my hands is what Nehemiah prays. I'm not saying this is always the case, but sometimes we're praying to God for the miracle to get out when He actually wants us to have the strength to get through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not over it, not under it, not escaping backwards, but through it, I will fear no evil for God is with me. There are times that we silence the storms around us and there's times we pray for the strength to take it on and overcome it because that's our inheritance in God. Nehemiah 9 verse 5 to 38, we see this massive corporate prayer meeting take place. I love corporate prayer. I love getting together for prayer. It's an amazing thing. And so that's the next prayer there. It goes on with a couple more But because I took extra long with my intro, I'm going to jump ahead from there. But we see Nehemiah's praying different types of prayer for different reasons at different times. And I want to look at some different types of prayer in our life that we can activate to communicate with God. And I believe that if we, maybe God will highlight some of these to you tonight. And maybe he'll he'll show you that, hey, you've been praying this way, but maybe I need you to pray in this manner for this to come forward tonight. And so if that happens, I encourage you to be obedient and act upon that. And I'm going to, I had nine different prayers and I, I narrowed that down through prayer of ones that I think that God is saying to us tonight that we need to be rethinking about and rebuilding in our life or maybe building for the first time. So there are different types of prayer. Um, James 5 verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. A righteous man, well that The Bible tells us that there's no one righteous on our own merits. But what makes us a righteous man or woman is if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The great exchange takes place on the cross where our, our dirty rags, our unrighteousness was actually swapped and transferred to Him. And then His righteousness, His perfection was transferred to us. So now we can walk before God and actually be seen, be seen as righteous. So if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're righteous in this place. If you haven't done that, it's as easy as trusting in Him as your Savior. So the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That means our prayers are meant to be powerful and effective. But do you always feel like your prayers are powerful and effective? No, I know sometimes I don't feel like they're powerful and effective. But the Word of God says they're powerful and effective. So we need to step into that word, that promise. And I believe some of these ways are how we can do that. The first prayer I want to look at, when we're communicating with God, when we're coming before God, I believe we need to have a prayer or, or um, pray a prayer of submission, of surrender. Prayer, a prayer of submission is the most important type of prayer we can pray. We don't like that word submission much these days. We don't like that word surrender. We're encouraged to be independent. We're encouraged to take on everything. We're encouraged to, no, I, I shouldn't submit to anyone, but, but I got to get through this. But actually, when we come before God and we want to experience and hear His voice, we need to do so in submission, in a surrender to Him, that He knows better, that He knows more than us. It's one of the hardest prayers to do but it's one of the most important prayers we pray, a prayer of submission. God, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Lord, I, I have this agenda, and I have this idea about how my life should look like, but not my way, your way, God. 
That's a prayer of submission. I surrender to you, God. Tom Brown, who he wrote the book, a great book on prayers that get results, goes as far to say that none of the other types of our prayers will work unless they are grounded in a prayer of submission. We need to have submission and surrender functioning in our life. I think some of us, and I know for me at times, the reason my prayers aren't getting answered is because I'm not surrendering to God. I'm trying to instill my will on Him rather than asking Him for His will. A life truly lived for God is a life submitted and surrendered to Him. So if we want to know how to have our prayers answered, and I think we all want our prayers answered in this place, we need to be able to surrender to God. We see Jesus do this. Jesus, the Son of God, He comes to earth and He empties out His divinity to to walk and to relate and to function in human capacity. And it's the night before His trial and He knows the weight of the world's on His shoulder. He knows that He's about to get arrested and He's about to um, face the cross very shortly afterwards. And He's asked His disciples to pray with Him, to um, wait out in the, at the front of the garden. He's going to go in and He's praying um, and He's anxious and He's burdened by what He's about to face. It says that He actually is so anxious that He begins to sweat blood which is like, like that has happened to people um, like since then, but it's such an extreme case of anxiety that often people's body will shut down and they will actually go into a cardiac arrest or they will die before they even can get to that level of anxiety. So Jesus is heavy. He's anxious. He's sweating blood. And he prays. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. He's saying, God, if there's any other way, can, can you take it from me? But then he says, he prays, yet not my will, but your will be done. He surrenders to the Father. Are we praying prayers of surrender, of submission to God? Hebrews 5.7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. I love that picture of Jesus not just praying, but fervently and crying out and passionately praying to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because, why was he heard? Not just, it doesn't say he was heard because he was the son of God and he had to get out of jail free card. It's not that he was, uh, the, you know, he'd done all the, you know, he acted and, and he went through the right legalistic manner and he checked the right boxes. It actually says because of his reverent submission, which means his worshipful surrender. The reason that Jesus had his prayers answered, sometimes we have this weird theology that it's, well, it's because he was God on earth and he could just do it. It's not the same for us. Actually, the Bible tells us it's because of his submission and surrender to the Father is why his prayers were answered. If we want our prayers answered, if we want our prayer life on fire and, and seeing miracles and things happen around us, it needs to be out of a place of surrender to God. The next one is prayers of faith. Can you say prayers of faith? Yes, faith. We love faith. Prayers of faith are the prayers we pray, claiming the promises of God over our situations. Sometimes we get these mixed up, and we'll see that soon. But this isn't a maybe. This isn't a, this would be nice. This is a God, you promised it, therefore I'm taking it. I'm praying it. I'm praying in faith and declaring it because your word has promised me that this is what you will be in my life. That's a prayer of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When we pray promises from God like they are just maybes or, or like that they're, if you're awake today, God, would you fulfill this? 
We're actually saying, God, we don't trust you are who you say you are, and you do what you say you do. A prayer of faith is confident. It's bold. So a prayer of faith, for example, the Bible tells us that God will be our provider. Have we read that? That he'll provide all our needs. So a prayer of faith would be, God, you're my provider. I'm in a situation, but I'm praying that you are my provider. I'm declaring that and releasing that over my circumstances. That would be a a prayer. Now, notice there's not that much details in that. I'm not saying, God, you said you would provide in this manner that I would get this job at this time in this way and that a million dollars would just drop out of the sky and I'd pick it up and I'd be able to. No, it's God, you're my provider. So I'm standing on that. I'm declaring that in faith. That's a prayer of faith. Our prayers of faith are confident. God promises things all throughout his word. And sometimes our our body falls behind, our, our physical manner, our flesh here falls behind what the promises of God are, and we have to pray and call it back into line. So Isaiah Isaiah 40, verse 31, for example, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It doesn't say might renew their strength. It says will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So that, for me, I see that and go, okay, that's a promise of God there. He's saying they will. So why am I not feeling like that? Okay, I pray in faith, God, that you are going to give me a supernatural energy, that I'm hoping in you and I'm going to soar because your word says it, so I'm confident in it. That's a prayer of faith. Are you praying promises of God over your life like they are maybes? Or that when God makes a promise, it will come to pass? That's how we need to pray our prayers of faith. Prayers of petition, though, there's a slight difference here, biblically. So prayers of Prayers of faith are confident, are bold, knowing that this is the outcome. God, you said you'd provide, so you will provide. God, you said you would heal, so I'm trusting you will heal. Prayers of petition, we often get mixed up with with faith. I know I have, and this is where I've found the most disappointment in my prayer life. Because I felt like, God, you didn't answer my prayer. But what a prayer of petition is, um, and it says in in the Bible there, Paul uses that word of bring your prayers and Uh, petitions before God, and it says throughout the Bible. Um, It's actually a legal term. It comes from a legal um, term of making a a formal request with no guarantee of getting the outcome we thought we'd get. So you bring a petition to someone in in a legal case, you're formally requesting something, but that person is under no obligation to fulfill it the way you thought it would be fulfilled. Does that make sense? So that's a petition. So God has given his prayers of faith, that we get to pray boldly and confidently. And prayers of petition, we do pray boldly and confidently as well, but we pray them slightly different. These are humble requests to God, knowing that if they do not come to pass, it is because He has something better lined up for us. Okay, so we come and we pray, and, and God wants us to bring our petitions, our desires, our things that we think would be nice. And when we bring them to God, we say, God, I, I just love it if you were to do this or to, to um, have this outcome happen and it doesn't, we've got to learn to not get disappointed because we're trusting that God must have a better plan for us. Okay, so a prayer of faith, we don't get that option. Faith is, is faith. We're gonna, it's going to happen because God said it would happen, and I know that He will do it. A petition is a bit more blurred in the sense that um, maybe we're praying for a sp- specific spouse. Maybe we're trying to claim a spouse. Have you ever, I don't know if people do that. I didn't grow up in the church world. I've heard of people doing this, of, of claiming that spouse and claiming over that. This person is my, I, I, Lord, I'm just receiving a message right now. Um, Brittany, uh, I'm at youth group. I'm 14 years old. 
but God told me that we're going to get married, so you have to just do all that because God told me. Right? Like these are claiming over a spouse. You know, I don't know if you've heard of some the the story of the lady who uh, was really believing for a spouse that the God was going to to bring her a new um, new husband. She divorced a couple of times, and she. Uh, you know, she walked up to the, the man on the train and said, you, you actually, you look like my, my third husband. And he said, well, how many have you had? Two. Right? She's claiming, she's speaking that the third, anyway, bad joke, it's fine. But prayers of petitions, I believe we're to pray them big and boldly from a place and understanding that God will grant these prayers if he sees fit and if it's in the best interest for he, the will and his purpose for your life. Prayers of faith are praying and speaking confidently. God's promises will come to pass and calling them into being. And prayers of petition are prayer requests that God will fulfill if he sees fit. As a God who sees the grand scheme of time, what's best for us, who has good, good gifts for his kid, who only wants good for you, if that fits into his plan and his purpose, then he'll bring them forward. Are you praying prayers of petition knowing that if God does not grant them, he must have something better for you? That's a prayer petition. Okay, we're, we're going through these. Are you still with me? You're still here? We've got a couple more to go. Prayer with others, corporate prayer. I love praying with other people. We saw that Nehemiah had a massive prayer meeting there, um, and the Bible talks a lot about praying with other people. Prayer is not meant to be a solo sport. Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking. This is the Passion Translation again. In verse 19, it says, Again, I give you an in eternal truth, if two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. A symphony of prayer. I love that picture. The, way, the reason they translated it that way, other translations say agree, and uh, we get that word from the Greek word symphono, which we get symphony from. But I love that picture of when people are praying together, it's like an orchestra sending up music to God when we pray together. And it's not all about praying the exact same prayer. If you know anything about music, we know that uh, instruments and chords actually harmonize with each other. And I love that picture of praying with other people, that we're actually sending up a a harmony to God when we pray together, a symphony, an orchestra, a music to God. And it says that when we pray in that way together as a symphony, Heavenly Father will do it for us. There's power in corporate prayer or in praying with other people that you just can't get by yourself. Um, we recently had some friends, and we were talking to them, and uh, they've, you know, been in the church, and they've had their ups and downs, and they recently decided, um, well, recently, a couple of years ago, decided, we're going to take a year off church. We're fed up. We're done with going to church, going to a church community. It's not for us anymore. Um, we, we, we love God. We love Jesus, but we're just not sure about this church thing. And after their year in review, they, they kind of came back, and they ended up coming back early. They couldn't hold off that long. Because what they learned is that is there's things that you can get in community that you can't get just by yourself with Jesus. They were still praying. They still loved Jesus. They still were reading the Word of God. But there's something about coming together as sons and daughters of God and praying together and crying together and laughing together. So whether that's small groups, whether that's our friends giving dinners, our, our prayer meetings, I encourage everybody to be praying with other people. Have somebody you know that you can pray with. Hey, I'm going through a tough time, and I don't even know if I, uh, what I believe or what I think anymore. Would you pray with me? Find that person, and I believe it's best found in, in, a, in a godly community. That's why we, we push and we're excited about our groups and our dinner parties and all the things coming together. In Acts, we see the early church, they joined together um, for worship, for praise, for fellowship, and for prayer. 
That's how the church was birthed. In Leviticus 26 verse 8, it says, uh, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you. There's something about unity. You see, if you do the math, that doesn't quite add up. Like if, if five of them um, will chase a hundred, if we're simply just talking addition here, then a hundred of them would be able to get 2,000. But it actually says 10,000 because it's not about addition when we come together. It's about multiplication. It's about increase. So when our prayers come together, it's not just adding a prayer. It's actually multiplying and building up. So I encourage everybody to be praying with someone. Come on out to our, our, our prayer um, prayer days once a month, our, our Saturday morning prayers. We've got one more at Fort Calgary on the field coming up, and then we're going to be um, most likely praying in the central library uh, for the winter months. So we're going to be inside. For those guys who slugged it out over the snow for the last couple of years, we thank you. We're going to be inside for winter. Hallelujah. It's going to be awesome. Um, but, you know, and also in Acts 2, there's this amazing picture of the Jesus um, has come back. He's told his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And the power is going to descend upon you, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And so they're together. They're unified. They're with each other. They're not off by themselves. They, they originally, they scattered after Jesus died, but they came back together after he revealed himself to them. And, um, and it says there's going to be power descend upon you, and the Holy Spirit descends on that day. And it's continued to descend on all of believers since then. Um, but the word power that Jesus uses there is actually from the Greek word, the same uh, word that we we get for dynamo, for dynamite. It's it's dunamis, which translates to dynamo, which we say dynamite. It actually speaks of an explosion of power that comes when they're together. There's an explosion that happens when we pray together. And I, and I love it. There's a synergy when God's people come together. Psalm 133 verse 1 and 2 um, it's a, a song to God here and, and to praise. It says, How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity, when they come together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard and the collar of his robes. Oil in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God flowing. And when people come together in unity, the Spirit flows. C3 Church, if we want to be a Holy Spirit-filled church, we need to come together in unity. In all that we do and pray. It's an awesome thing. Okay. So you can do it, Stephen. I can. I can. I've got four minutes and I'm going to do it. It's going to be amazing. Then we're going to invite the band back up and, and, and have a time of worship. Um, the, the next one that I wanted to speak of tonight is praying in the Spirit. Otherwise known sometimes as speaking in tongues or praying in tongues in the church. Hello. Is he going there? Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> Now, we've heard this term, and it's, and it's got a lot of uh, negative um, press over the time, speaking in tongues. And, and has the speaking in tongues in the church been misused and abused and mistaught with bad theology over the years? I believe yes, clearly. Clearly, there's been times the church has got it wrong. Um, is it any way attached to a believer's salvation? No. Okay, you can be saved. You can know Jesus and, and never speak in tongues in your life, and we'll get to hang out in heaven together, and we'll get to laugh about how we both had some silly little theologies that we like to argue about. But actually, the only thing that can save us is by trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Anything added to that is not the gospel. That is the good news. But the Bible speaks of a communication we can have with God that is called praying in the Spirit. And I believe that, and I do that in my own life. So it's been misused. I believe it's been mistaught and ridiculed by people who do not understand or utilize it. 
That does not mean that it's not true or not needed or available for a believer today. You know, legendary Bible teacher and um, minister in the area of healing, Smith Wigglesworth. Has anybody heard of Smith Wigglesworth? He was a healing evangelist. Um, he used to pray and people would get healed. Miracles would take place a lot. And he used to not believe in, in praying in the Spirit. He would argue with Pentecostal preachers and charismatic preachers. His wife, bad move, Smith. You don't argue with your wife. You argue with the preachers, argue with the pastors. Just don't argue with your wife, Smith. And he would argue against praying in tongues and speaking in the spirits. And then, um, but he had such a hunger for God and it frustrated him so much that he dived into the Word of God, God started studying it, and went and, and started to, to ask God for the gift. And he received it after time, after a journey. And he said that, he believes the reason why he had so much, saw so many miracles take place, so many healings happen, was because he prayed in the Spirit often. Um, he, his famous quote around this is, before I had an argument against, but now I have an experience with God. Paul states in Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, that words cannot express. And he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In Corinthians, um, Paul is correcting uh, the church there about when they're getting together and gathering in a church service, they're going crazy. They're doing some wild things. Church service is, is meant to actually have some order to it, and that's what we try to do. It's meant to be have the Holy Spirit flowing, and it's meant to have um, you know uh, miracles taking place, uh, it's meant to have worship and praise, but there is meant to be some order. And he's speaking to that because people are starting to do things that are taking attention away from God, bringing it to themselves, but also it's confusing people who haven't been to church that, that come in the doors. So he's correcting that. We want to be a church where anybody can come into and experience the love of God. That's our heart here at C3. We believe in miracles. The Holy Spirit flows every week. Miracles happen every week in this place. But we want to create an environment where people can come in and not be so distracted and put off by what's going on around them that they miss what God has for them. That's what Paul's kind of speaking to here. And, um, but in that, he talks about tongues. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4 and 5, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That word edify means recharges himself, re-energizes. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's what Paul says. Um, but, uh, but then he goes on to say, but I'd rather that you, you prophesy, that you, that you exhort, that you lift people up. So what he's doing in this correction is he's actually, um, he's actually confirming that one, that tongues are from God. And he wants everybody to do them and that they're worthwhile doing. So sometimes I've heard people teach that this is like, no, Paul's saying don't do it. No, he's actually saying tongues are available for you. It's going to edify and re-energize you, but just don't go crazy with it and make it weird and do crazy, stupid things with it. That's my paraphrase. That's the Stephen Flight version of the Bible right there. I'm not trying to hit this point or make anybody feel uncomfortable, but this is a form of prayer that I believe is available to the follower of Christ. It's a gift of the Spirit. And I believe it's a type of communicating with God where our words can't even express what we're feeling. So the Holy Spirit takes over in us and for us. Um, and it's a heavenly language. And that is, oh, actually, I'd like to show the story of how I first started speaking in tongues. So when I came into church, um, again, like I said, I had no background. So I, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I didn't have any grounding. I didn't have anywhere to go. I also didn't have any baggage. I didn't also have anything. So it really 
caused me to seek out God and to try and um, search for him from the self. And I heard about this thing at a youth retreat that they were saying, you should, like, everybody should speak in tongues. Why don't you come up and get prayer for praying in tongues? I was like, like a puppy. I was like, sure, okay, I'll come down. Oh, shiny light. And um, came to the front and, and got prayed for, and nothing happened to me. I didn't start praying in tongues. Um, cool. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. All good. Like, I tried. It didn't work. And I, and I went back, and, and, but I continued to pray in my own time. God, would you give me that gift? Like, if it's what you have for me, can I speak in that heavenly language that they were talking about? And I was praying, and it was a few months went by, and I started to realize as I was praying that I was starting to have these expressions and words coming through that I'd feel bubble up inside me. And I'd pray, and it's like words couldn't describe, and I started speaking. And, and over a journey, a progressive journey, I started speaking in a prayer language between me and God. It didn't happen in one moment for me, is what I'm trying to say. Little did I know at the time, so... Uh, my, my brother was telling me, um, like, he came past my room one day late at night. Like, he had to walk past it to get to his. And he could hear out of my room um, speaking in tongues, a heavenly language taking place. And he thought I was praying in tongues. It's actually I was asleep praying in tongues. So it's like God almost had to really get me out of my head to the point where I was asleep and he started developing a heavenly language in me. That's how it worked for me. I know other people who have accepted Jesus and in that moment they started speaking in, um, in a heavenly language. I know other people who have been following Jesus for 40, 50 years are the most godly people I know and they're yet to speak in tongues. What I'm saying is this is a form of communication and prayer. I believe we should hunger afterwards. Amen? So don't freak out about that. But I believe in it, and I believe you should talk to God about it. Ask Him. Search the Scriptures. And he doesn't. if we ask for bread, He doesn't give us a stone. I'm going to invite the band back up for worship. The um, Two more to go very quickly here. Um, thank you for allowing me to go a few extra minutes than I normally would tonight. Uh, the, this one is super in, important. The, the prayer of release, I call this. So in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety. I love the Word of God. See, it doesn't say cast some of your anxiety on God, but keep a little bit to yourself, just so you know, you keep it real, man. No, it says cast all your anxiety on Him. In prayer, we can actually come before God and cast off the burdens and the heaviness and the disappointments and the fears and the anxieties and say, God, this isn't from you and this isn't for me to carry anymore. So I give it to you. I love that picture of casting. It's not just a placement. It's actually throwing them to God. I believe there's some people here and you're anxious and you're stressed. We all get stressed. But God is wanting you in prayer and in worship to cast your anxieties on Him. And He wants to fill you with peace and a love that says you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe there's a storm in the natural. Maybe there's something going on that's causing this anxiety but you don't have to live in that place because you're a child of God. Cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33-ish tells us Jesus is saying, do not worry about tomorrow. If God looks after the birds of the sky, if He looks after the flowers of the field, won't He look after you, His sons and daughters? But we need to come and cast our anxieties to Him. He's, he's a gentleman. He waits for us to make the move. He, he gives us free will to come and say, God, I'm going to trust you with my anxieties, my stress. I believe in this last couple of minutes, God's going to deal with some anxiety and stress in this place. And the final one is the prayer of intercession. This is praying for others. One of the greatest things we get to do in our prayer life is pray for other people. Um, 
the cool thing about the Bible is it actually says that Jesus is actually interceding for us right now. So he finished his work on the cross. He becomes the, our mediator, the way that we come to God. And then he doesn't just sit back and rest, but he actually intercedes on our behalf now. Friend, Jesus is actually praying for you right now to the Father. He's interceding. He's, 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 he's encouraging. He's exhorting you. He's saying, Father, God, wait, wait till you see what they do. I know they're going to get through this. I'm believing they're going to get through this. Wait till you see. He's interceding for you right now. And we get to intercede for other people. The greatest thing you can do is pray for other people to pray for our city, to pray for our church, to pray for your workplace. Forgive us. Don't, don't, not forgive them. Forgive us. We get to intercede. We get to stand in the gap for people and intercede and pray. Jesus on the cross, as he's been crucified, as he's dying, he actually prays for the people who crucified him. He says, forgive them, God, for they know not what they do. And we find it hard to pray for that person who annoys us at work, that in-law that drives us crazy, our spouse if they're having a moment with us. But Jesus actually prayed for the people who were crucifying him. The greatest thing we can do is intercede for other people. And as we pray for our enemies, you'll find that they won't be an enemy anymore. Actually, as we pray for them, you start to get compassion. You start to get understanding. You start to go, I know why they did what they did. Yeah, I don't agree with it. I don't accept it. But I understand a little bit more why they're doing what they're doing. If you're struggling with somebody, if you have a relationship issue, I encourage you, pray for that person. Intercede for them. So what's the point of all those things, Stephen? This is the point. The point is our prayers are meant to be powerful and effective. And I believe yours will be if you commit to being a person of prayer and action. The point is we have been given the ability to pray and there are ways to pray in certain situations. But don't worry about it because God shows us that way to pray if we hunger and ask Him and submit to Him. If you're wondering how to pray, go before Him and say, God, I don't know how to pray. Show me how to pray. And I believe He'll teach you how to pray. And the point is that we, that I, that you have been instructed to pray, to communicate with God, to align with His will for our life and to live it out, to intercede for our friends, our family and our enemies. Just imagine a life for a moment and the impact in our city if all of us just learned to pray the prayers that God was asking us to pray. Can you picture that? If we all just learned to pray the prayers that God was actually asking us to pray. Can you picture how different your life would be, your circumstance and the impact that you would make if you decided to prioritize prayer in your life? I believe it would change the world. I believe it would change your world. And the world has been changed and the church was birthed out of people deciding to pray. Jesus laid down his life and then he gave us the power to pray by his Holy Spirit. So in this place tonight, I didn't know how I was going to... Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at c3ev.ca. See you next week.